was thinking last night about the subject of thankfulness, this being the Thanksgiving weekend, my mind was drawn to a certain matter which I hope to discuss briefly this morning. We read this morning 1 Thessalonians 5 where Paul tells the believers to rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, he said in everything give thanks, but we don't really like that, do we? Even the bad things in quotation marks. But remember that the Scriptures tell us that God works all things together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. So is anything really bad in such a way that we ought not to give thanks for it? You know, we might actually be giving thanks for things that we have prayed to God to take away. Because it says, pray without ceasing and in everything give thanks. So those are not incompatible positions to hold. That we could pray the Lord for deliverance, for strength, for health, for financial help, all sorts of things, and at the same time give thanks for the circumstances that we are in, because no doubt the Lord superintends all things and has some good reason that He would place us in whatever condition we are in. It reminds me of the story that's found in Corey Ten Boom's The Hiding Place. If you remember, her family, well, she and her sister Betsy were spinsters, and they lived in a family of a clockmaker. And they hid out a bunch of Jews from the Nazis in Holland, and then sooner or later they were caught and transported to Ravensbrück, the concentration camp where the old father died within days of being brought there. But Corey Tinboom and Betsy lived through a great deal of torment in that place. And ultimately, Betsy, being the weaker of the sisters, died in the concentration camp also. But there was an incident when they first got there where they would be put in these big, huge barracks with these rough, crude three-decker beds that they crammed them all into, miserable conditions, and it was infested with fleas, which gnawed and bit. Corey Ten Boom said to her sister, Why is this? This is awful. This is terrible. Why would God do this to us? And her sister said, Well, we need to give thanks for the fleas. And she said, Nonsense. Why should we give thanks for the fleas? So Betsy said, well, because the Bible says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So they held a little two-person prayer meeting and they gave thanks for the fleas. Betsy, without any remorse, and Corey Ten Boone thinking this is all a little too much. But then they soon discovered that the guards wouldn't come into the barracks because they didn't want to catch the fleas. And that meant that they could hold Bible studies and prayer meetings in the barracks, which were illegal because the guards wouldn't come in and catch them doing it. And so they did. She tells a lot of stories about the consequences of that, how they were able to minister to the other prisoners and preach the gospel to them. So the point was that the fleas were a gift from the Lord. 
as hard to believe it as it was. And that it was used by God to promote worship, praise, thanksgiving, and the preaching of the gospel to poor, helpless, lost people. Which brings up the question, this phrase, to give thanks in everything, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Most of us read that as this is the will of God, that is, that we give thanks in everything. And that's certainly true. But it also could mean that we're to be thankful because whatever befalls us that we're being thankful for is the will of God. And if you look at it that way, then you see that it only stands to reason we should give thanks for everything because the Lord has brought these things to us for some good reason that we don't discern perhaps. And so because it is the will of God that we should be in this circumstance, whether it be good or bad, then we should give thanks for that. All of this was provoked by me thinking about the things that Jesus gave thanks for. You know, Jesus was always praying to His Father. He was always giving thanks. And he was always communing with Him in that closeness that we talked about last Lord's Day was something that we could only dream of, and yet the Father would have us to approach unto Him as sons like Jesus did. But you remember Jesus oftentimes gave thanks for the food. In Matthew 14, the great story of the feeding of the 5,000. When it was evening, His disciples came to Him saying, This is a desert place and the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said to them, They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. And of course, they thought that was crazy because they only had five loaves and two fishes, they said. And He said, Bring them hither to Me. Now notice the care of Christ for the people. In another example, Christ expresses the concern that if they send these people away, that they will faint along the way, that it would be bad for them to be on the road traveling when they were all famished and weak with hunger. But notice the care of Christ for the people. He didn't just have His mind up in the clouds, as we say, only thinking of spiritual things. I know He he was concerned about their physical needs as well. The Lord Jesus is concerned about all of our needs all the way around. We must not think of Him as so high and holy that He is not at the same time meek and lowly, as the songwriter put it. And so at verse 19, we see this. And He commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven, He blessed and brake and gave the loaves to His disciples and the disciples to the multitude. Now this phrase, He blessed, means that He gave thanks to the Lord for providing this food for the people. Now, giving thanks at a meal is a pretty common thing in our society. And it has always been pretty common amongst the Lord's people. But have you ever thought of this, that the one who created all things, that is the Lord Jesus, including all the food, all the stars, all the sun, all the heavens, all the planet, all the mountains, all the flowers and trees, and all the beasts of the field, 
He created all things, including all of our food. Nevertheless, He gave thanks as a public witness to the fact that we ought to always give thanks to God for the smallest of blessings. You know, one of the things that we are not usually thankful for to God is the things that, quote-unquote, we do. In other words, we only thank God for the things that are extraordinary, unexpected, or answers to prayer, but not for the things that we can do, you know. We don't give thanks for the fact that we have a job and make some money and buy ourselves things. We don't give thanks for other things that we imagine in our minds that we're responsible for. Because we don't really grasp the truth of the Scriptures that the Lord is responsible for all these things. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down to us from the Father of lights, the Scriptures tell us. And so we are negligent to be thankful for the things we do. Well, here's Jesus being thankful for the things He did. He divided the fish and multiplied them and fed the people. And yet He gave thanks. And He is our model, you see. Now on the road to Emmaus, of course, the Lord Jesus, we know the story well, where He opened to the disciples the Scriptures because they thought that Messiah was to redeem Israel and now he had been put to death. And so the Lord Jesus leads them through the Old Testament and points out the things regarding himself. So he explained to them that it was foretold that Christ should suffer, should be put to death, should be made an offering for sin, should save his people not from the Romans or from their physical foes primarily, but principally from their own sin and to rescue them from the wrath of God and the judgment of death. And He opened their eyes, and then they, at verse 28 of Luke 24, they drew near unto the village whither they went, and He made as though He would have gone further. But they constrained Him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And He went in to tarry with them. came to pass as He sat at meat with them. He took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. Later on it says that they told the other disciples how the Lord Jesus was known to them in the breaking of the bread. No doubt he was doing several things here. He was reminding them of the Lord's table, and the fact that he broke that bread before he went to the cross, And he fulfilled the sign and symbol of the Lord's table with his dying on the cross. And now, you see, every time we break bread, we ought to remember what the Lord Jesus did for us. And he gave thanks for it. And in all of that, they suddenly realized that they were with the Lord. Oh, that we would realize we're with Jesus every time we break the bread, especially around this table. But Jesus also gave thanks that the Father revealed the gospel to simple babes and not unto the wise and prudent. We read this text this morning. You remember in Luke 10, it said, The seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to us through thy name. And he said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power 
of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Of course, now he's addressing that to his disciples during the course of his ministry. Notwithstanding in this rejoice, not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Here is the principal thing for our rejoicing. Not any particular physical reality that we find ourselves in, but rather in the fact that the Lord has written our names in the Lamb's book of life and we have been rescued from our sin. Rejoice in that, he said. Then look at what he says at verse 21. In that hour Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Now, this is an amazing statement. We've preached on it before recently, so we won't go into it in detail. Christ is giving thanks to the Father that gospel understanding and belief is not based on our wisdom and knowledge and prudence. It is rather given to those who ought not to be able to grasp it on their own steam. It's given by the revelation of that gospel to the helpless and the simple, to the children, to those who have no resources in themselves, to those who are not trusting in their own power, but rather always grasp at those who have power to protect them, to carry them, to feed them, to love them, and so forth. And that's to be our attitude towards the Lord Jesus and towards our Father in heaven. We have the attitude of children. Sons, yes, grown-up sons, and yet our dependence is upon the goodness of God and not upon our own wisdom and our own knowledge and cleverness and prudence, good judgment, you know. The people with the good judgment and the wisdom, they rejected the Lord Jesus. It didn't mean anything to them except foolishness, but rather those who are helpless children the Lord has deemed it fitting that it should be revealed to them. And Christ gives thanks for that. He gives thanksgiving to the Father that He has not revealed it to this group of people, the rich, the powerful, the prudent, the wise. And He has revealed it to this group of people, the people who are spiritual children who cry out and the Lord has mercy on them. You remember he said other places, except ye be converted to become as little children, ye cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Notice that's not something you do to yourself. It's not some attitude or posture that you can generate in yourself. It's an act of the Holy Ghost of regeneration that you should be born again as spiritual children brought to Christ. Brought to Christ and converted unto that type of person whom it has pleased the Father to reveal gospel truth unto. So you see, we are blessed by God to hear and understand the gospel. This is a blessing to us. And Jesus reiterates that at verse 23. And he turned him unto his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. Now, that doesn't mean 
pat yourself on the back that you had such talent and wisdom and knowledge and cleverness to be able to see the things which are revealed to you. No, that means that this is a gift from God. It's to be given thanks for. You could have been like the knowledgeable and the wise and the prudent and had these things completely hidden from you. But no, you were given eyes to see. You were shown these things by the Father. Then he says, For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see these things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. So it's not just the fact that they are the children whom the Father has revealed these things to, but it's also the fact that they live in a time and a place in which they are shown things which even the Lord's people wanted to see in times past, but it was hidden from them. You remember in 1 Peter 1, Peter says that the prophets searched what does the Spirit of Christ mean about the sufferings of Messiah and the glory. And then he says, well, it turns out those things were written not for their benefit, but for ours. Because now the Word of God has been opened to us by the Holy Spirit, and we now see what was foretold and recorded long ago, which the prophets and the kings desired to look upon. So Jesus gives thanks, and we ought to give thanks for the fact that the gospel has been disclosed to us, both in a chronological sense, because we live after Christ, accomplish these things, and also in a spiritual sense, because He has revealed it to us as He has converted us unto children spiritually, and caused us to understand and to receive and to believe. And this is a glorious thing. It's a marvelous thing. It's an astounding thing. And Jesus gives thanks for it. Another prominent example of Jesus giving thanks is at the grave of Lazarus. I'm sorry, but how many times have you been to a funeral and given thanks? Well, I have to admit that I have occasionally given thanks that the person who has died is with the Lord, free from the pain and the illness and the sadness and so forth of this world, even to the point of enviousness. The older I get, the more I come to realize that to be present with the Lord is better than to be absent from the Lord and alive in this physical body. You know, when you're young, it's very difficult to grasp a hold of that truth. But here Jesus is giving thanks at the grave of Lazarus. And in John 11 at verse 33, we take up the narrative, Jesus therefore saw her weeping, that is Mary, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Notice they're missing the main power of Christ, which is not that he could have stopped Lazarus from dying, but they're about to find out that death was no bar to the power of Christ to redeem. Why, he wasn't merely limited to healing sick people. He could raise dead people from the grave. 
And He has promised one day that He shall raise all of His people who trust in Him and come to Him alive again from the grave. And in fact, He taught Martha that in the prior part of this particular episode. So you see, these people had a totally deficient view of the power of Christ in this matter. Jesus therefore again groaning in Himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha the sister of him that was dead saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God? What is the glory of God that she was about to see? It is the power of Jesus to raise the dead. That is the glory of God. Notice that it implicitly identifies Christ as God, which He is. And the glory of God was about to be revealed in the raising of Lazarus from the dead. But then at verse 41 we read this, Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I know that thou hearest me always, but because of the people that stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. Now here's a place where the Lord Jesus thanks the Father for hearing him when he prays. And of course, Christ was always in a prayer with His Father all through His ministry and life. He only prayed audibly at certain times, but that would not begin to cover all the prayers of Christ to His Father. He is making thanks that the Father always hears Him. And in this case specifically, that Lazarus should be raised and God's glory should be demonstrated in Christ. And he said that he prayed aloud so that the people might believe that the Father sent him. Christ is thanking God for this powerful vindication and proof of his ministry and that his people might trust in him because of it. And then we know how it turned out. When he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. He that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound also with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him, and let him go. But then notice this, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. Christ's prayer to the Father was answered that the people might believe that the Father had sent him. They were convinced. Here's a man who can raise dead people from the grave, even the ones where corruption has already set in. If you go through the examples in the Scripture of Christ raising people from the dead, He raises Jairus' daughter who's not even cold yet. He raises the widow of Nan's son who's in a funeral procession, been dead for a while. He raises Lazarus who's been dead four days. The coldness of death or the corruption of death is no bar to the Lord Jesus raising His people from the dead. And one day He will raise His people who've been dead for thousands of years. He'll raise them up just like they had never died. For in Christ, His people who have died are but asleep. 
the Scriptures teach us. So here he prays to give thanks that the Father hears him. Well, we ought to give thanksgiving that the Father hears us, that the Lord Jesus hears us, that the Holy Ghost hears us. He hears us when we pray. He promises He does. And rather than gripe about our perception He hadn't given us what we've asked for, we ought to give thanks that He hears us. And we give thanks that He heard the Lord Jesus in His humanity and demonstrated the glory of God in the raising of Lazarus. And then, of course, the Lord Jesus gave thanks at the last meal, at the last supper. But the Scriptures say that this was more than once. And I think there's a reason for it. It was the Passover celebration in Luke 22 at verse 14. And when the hour was come, He sat down and the twelve apostles with Him. He said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And He took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. So Christ offered the prayer of thanksgiving at His last meal before He went to the cross. This is in keeping with His prior standard giving thanks for meals. But then He gave thanks again, didn't He? He gave thanks for the bread that He broke that He said, take and eat, this is My body. And He gave thanks for the cup that He gave to them and said, this is My blood of the new covenant shed for many for the forgiveness of sin. So He already had prayed for the meal, which makes His prayer for the bread and for the wine stand out all the more clearly because if they were only a part of the meal, then He had already given thanks for them, hadn't He? So it was His sacrifice and His death to save us that He gave thanks for the second time. The thanks for the sacrifice is distinguished from the thanks for the Passover feast generally Christ is giving thanks specially for the bread and the cup of the Lord's table because of what it represents. Jesus is giving thanks for the offering of His body and blood to redeem us. He knew what the bread and the wine signified. And He told His disciples, but they still didn't understand. And it is passing sad that even today the Lord's people often do not comprehend what the bread and the wine signify. Some of them foolishly think it's the real body and blood of Christ. And other people think it's just some vague sacrament, some vague ritual. But Christ and Paul would have us to understand that it is a memorial, a remembrance, a celebration of the actual physical body and blood of Christ which He laid down on the cross and made a sacrifice and an atonement, a propitiatory offering for our sins unto God in our place as God's Lamb. That is what these symbols point us to and cause us to celebrate. And that is what the Lord Jesus gave thanks for. He gave thanks for what they meant, what they represented. The same Lord Jesus that prayed and wept over the prospect of drinking that bitter cup in Gethsemane, that bitter cup of wrath for our sins, you see, had already that very night given 
thinks that thus it must be and would be. He would die to save His people from their sins. How poignant it is to think of Christ praying and giving thanks for these symbols. Only He present knowing and understanding what they meant and what it was for which He gave thanks. But now we know. Now we can understand. Now we can see that Jesus gave thanks for the death He was about to accomplish to save us. Now finally, the Lord Jesus exalts and praises God for His resurrection, His vindication, and for God accepting His afflictions to the saving of His people. And we find this recorded in the last half of Psalm 22. You'll remember in Psalm 22 it begins, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? And Christ appropriates that entire psalm unto Himself on the cross that He was delivered up by His Father to be the sacrifice for sin. He was not spared the judgment. He was not rescued from the hands of wicked men who put Him to death and who mocked Him and spit upon Him and shamed Him. The Father did not rescue Him from those things as He hung in agony and shame. And He describes, the Spirit of Christ describes to David many, many technical and factual details of what death Messiah would die. Then, at the end, He turns to praise. He turns to thanksgiving. That, in fact, God did not despise, that is, count as worthless, count as nothing, the afflictions of the afflicted. But when He cried out to Him, He heard. And the Lord is rejoicing in that. He's rejoicing in the effectiveness of the sacrifice He made and that God is well pleased with it, doesn't discount it, but rather embraces it. We've preached many times on that subject. He rejoices in the vindication for God accepting His afflictions to the saving of His people. After Christ describes the travail of His soul at Calvary, what wicked men did to Him by the hand of God, He then turns to praise to the Father. For, as we would put it, the way all these things worked out. And isn't this amazing that Christ is disclosing to David almost a millennium before it should take place. His suffering, His humiliation, the death He should die, and His vindication, and His exaltation, and God's being pleased with it and accepting it and receiving it. And we read of that in Psalm 22, beginning at verse 22. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise Him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify Him and fear Him. All ye the seed of Israel. For He hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath He hid His face from Him, but when He cried unto Him, He heard. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear Him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek Him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before Him. 
And then later on it says, A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born. That he hath done this. You see, Christ is giving thanks and exalting and praising God for the fact that not only has he accomplished this, and not only has God accepted it, not only has he been vindicated by being raised from the dead, but that the Lord's people will rejoice in it. That it will be communicated to those who have not even been born. That there will be people always who declare the righteousness of God and of Christ on the cross. And they will declare it unto people that have not yet been born, shall be born, that He has done this. He has done this. Christ has done this for us. The Father has accepted what He did and has vindicated His dear Son. God heard Jesus on the cross and accepted and embraced what He did there in His dying to save us. And now Christ sings praise to God for the entire ordeal because it accomplishes our rescue. And He rejoices that this gospel of salvation will be told to people who weren't even alive to see it when it took place. Well, obviously, we ought to give thanks to God like Jesus did for the common things as well as the trying things that in the end will show God's power, mercy, and deliverance and for Christ dying to save us and for our resurrection that Christ promised to us one day. If Jesus could give thanks for the bread and the wine that symbolized His dying, His bloodshed to forgive our sins, then how can we ever miss an opportunity to do likewise? We ought to be giving thanks for all these things constantly in the daytime, in the night seasons. When we awake at night, before we go to sleep, as we walk through the day, we must follow Christ's example to give thanks in all things. For as Paul said once again, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us. Amen. And we come to the Lord's table and we take opportunity to give thanks again as a group of believers, as a congregation called out to worship the Lord Jesus and to remember what He did. I'd like to ask Brother Whitten if he'd give thanks for the bread that pictures the body of Christ broken for us. The Scriptures tell us that on the night our Lord was betrayed, He took the bread and He blessed it. And He broke it. And He said, Take and eat. This is My body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Let's give thanks for the cup that pictures the blood of the Lord Jesus shed to make atonement for our sins. O oh God, our Father, we rejoice with Your dear Son who gave thanks for the cup that pictured His blood of the new covenant shed for many for the forgiveness of sin. We thank You. He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He was willing to be Your Lamb to be slain in peace and quiet and yet in violence. And by the hatred of men, He was willing to be that Lamb, to go to be slain on the cross, to shed His blood, to make an atonement for us, to 
make a propitiatory sacrifice to appease your wrath at our sin, that we might go free. You had judged in your own body by God Himself our crimes. And now there's no wrath left for us. We who've trusted in Jesus, Lord, we thank You for Your Son's faithfulness and obedience. And we thank You that He instituted and ordained this supper beforehand so that we might know that it was all intentional and deliberate if if we hadn't figured it out from all the other texts of Scripture that pointed to it very clearly, that Christ knew what He was about to do, that He rejoiced in what He was about to do, and that He knew that the blood that He shed would forgive the sins of His people who trust in Him. And we thank You that we have found this to be true that we can join Christ in giving thanks for it. Help us to really discern the body and blood of Christ and what it is that we truly put all of our hope in for all of time. Thank You for this cup that symbolizes it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Scriptures tell us that after they had supped, He took the cup and He blessed it and He said, Drink ye all of it. This cup is the new covenant in my blood for the remission of sin. Do it as often as ye do it in remembrance of me. And the Scriptures tell us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do preach the Lord's death until He comes. Let's all stand and sing number 233 in the black book. Fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all nations, O Thou of God and man the Son, Thee will I cherish, Thee will I honor, Thou my soul's glory, joy, and crown. Number 233.